Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And together we are your co-hosts. This week I'm talking about yet another constellation. We're talking about Orion. Woo! Uh, And I'm talking about cedar trees. Cedar trees, not juniper trees. Because you guys know, like, they get conflated all the time. Um, In particular, I'm going to be talking about Cedrus uh, Labani, which is, like, the Lebanese cedar. And we got a lot to talk about there. But uh, I'm going to start off up top by saying y'all are about to get a huge episode dump because uh, I'm behind on posting episodes. So look out, world. When this one posts today, you're going to have a whole lot to catch up on. Um, But... It's because I started a new job, which has been a lot of fun, but also crazy because I started right before our fall gala. So, woo! Anyway, Nick, when did you feel magical this week? Oh, well, you know, I was actually thinking about it while I was getting my coffee this morning. And uh, one thing I will say is that, uh, as many of the listeners will know, uh, I live in a three-cat household. uh, And I keep finding myself in triangles of cats. Um, okay. And uh, it just keeps happening. And I'm like, maybe the Egyptians had something going on with with triangles and cats. Because it seems to be three cats want to be in a triangle. It's their natural formation. Almost at all times. I love that. Um, I think for me, I've been like trying to get back into like my journaling and my tarot pool practice. Well, right now, I guess I should be more accurate and say my Oracle pool practice, because I do love this little like Oracle of the fairies thing that I got from Kelly. Uh, And I also bought a bunch of stuff to garden today, which I'm excited about, but it's 90 degrees, which I was bitching about before the podcast started. So uh, now y'all get to hear me bitch about it. It's so goddamn hot. But I'm trying to, like, take advantage of that and enjoy planting some, like, October flowers. That's, like, how I'm making myself feel better about this. I'm going to plant some, like, technically summer flowers in my garden, but it's because they can still flourish. Like, I've got violets and snapdragons and, like, stuff that I don't typically associate with fall gardens, um, but I'm just going with it. And on the gardening note, y'all, my indigo plant is, like, seven inches tall now. Wow. You're going to be making your own blue jeans so soon. You guys don't even know. Um, I'm going to be a blue jean baby next summer. And it's literally like everything. And they're so cute. I'm like rooting for them. Like I obviously love all of my plants, but something about growing indigo has really just made me a goddamn like plant cheerleader where I'm just like, you can do it. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Um. But I guess, Nick, because we are we have, like, two topics where this happens sometimes. We've talked about it, where we pick a topic, and then we're like, oh, there's actually not as much here as I thought there was, um, which is fine. It happens. Do you want to start, or do you want me to start? Um, I will, I will go first. I feel like, okay. you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm champing up the bit here. Ooh, girl, you go. No, well, so we're doing Orion, which... You know, Orion the Hunter, right? Easily one of the most identifiable constellations because of the iconic belt. 
And we love that it's it's accessory forward. It is accessory forward. And I have to say my favorite thing about it is I feel like no matter where you are in the Northern Hemisphere, it's like one of the easiest constellations to find. And I often use it as like my anchor to find other ones. No, that's actually such a good point, too, because that is what ancient seafarers would do. Oh, you know, I have so much in common with ancient seafarers, so I'm well, not surprised. <laughs> well, because if you follow sort of the imaginary line down Orion's arm where he's like pulling the bow, um, that points towards the like northern triangle of stars. And then there's another one. Um, that's some stars that they would use for east-west. If you follow sort of, again, one of the imaginary lines like that continues from Orion. So yeah, they would literally use it to find the navigation stars because it yeah. is so easy to find itself. And it's so bright that like you can see it in Los Angeles. Like, Well, and that's another good point because um, the Orion Nebula being part of it uh, is one of the most active star-forming regions in our galaxy. So it's a, it's a stellar nursery, actually. Um, okay, that's so cute. I just love that idea of, like, a stellar nursery. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, and it's like, there's a very dense amalgamation of gases there, and that's where the stars form. Uh, and it's, you know, it's one of the the few active star-forming regions still going in the Milky Way. And so there's that. There's Betelgeuse, which is also a super bright star. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot of very, actually abnormally bright stars all contained within the Orion constellation. I'm like, I just, I'm I'm loving this. And it also makes me feel... Because I sometimes I'm like, man, am I just like a stargazing Luddite? Because like I I'm not good at pulling up those maps and like all of the fancy technology stuff. I'm like, I have to look at something and then just find Orion and sort everything out from there. Because you know, there's all those like cool star maps now that you can use on your like iPhone, but none of them have ever been super helpful for me. Well, and it's also like to be fair, a lot of them are not very accurate. That's true. That is true. That is very accurate. Or it's it's like it it doesn't it doesn't deliver on what it claims <clears throat> to deliver. So, you know, it's like you'll point it at something that you know what it is just to kind of calibrate it and see how close it is to like real you know. Um and then yeah. you're like and then you're like, "Oh, no, that's not what that is." So, Yeah. Not at all. And I I used to have, and I want to buy another one of these because I took an astronomy class in undergrad and I had one of those, like the ones that you have to buy every few years that have like the rotating map of uh -huh. the sky on them. And yeah. I think those are actually like <clears throat> so much easier for me to use. But again, it's like Orion is kind of my like anchor that I find. And it makes me feel like less of a like less of a constellation dummy to know that that's like been the case for a lot of people forever well and you know we are actually in the time now where orion is back because, because orion does go away for like 
May, June, first part of July. But then once you start getting into the end of July, you can see it uh, in the east right before sunrise. Yeah. Um, or early enough in the morning if you wake up. And actually, I saw something that called that um, the ghost of summer dawn. Oh, that's haunting and beautiful. Like, Lana Del Rey's got to have a song about that at some point, right? No, well, and it's based on a poem. Someone wrote a poem about seeing Orion uh, as, because it's like, when you can see it, it's right before the sun's going to come up. So then it just, it shows up and then disappears like a spooky, yeah. like a spooky ghost. Um, I, okay obsessed <laughs> i don't obsessed. know this just tickles me i love this so much <laughs> um but if you really want to get like a good hard look at orion you do have to wait until um december like november december january uh and going into march too but really the peak is january um and that's when you're gonna see it longest in the night sky and so at that point, it will be um, in the sort of southwest quadrant of the sky. Um, and yeah, so it's not exactly on the zodiac plane, but it is very close. And actually, if you look at it, it almost looks like he's about to shoot an arrow at Taurus. Very rude. Which is very rude. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, so we love we love Orion. And again, the easiest way to find Orion is by the belt. And then you have this sort of skirt or like tunic-shaped garment that he's wearing. Uh, and then the sword on the hip and then arms sort of raised to, uh, to shoot the bow. Um, and yeah, so he's the hunter. And one of the things that I think is interesting is there is some form of hunter in almost all of the Western, const you know, constellations for Orion. Uh, of course, Orion is the Greek one, um, which is, you know, kind of where Europe generally landed with their constellation, as the base for their constellations. It's all the ones uh, that Greek had already named and described. But, um, but the Mesopotamians saw it as Gilgamesh, the hero Gilgamesh. Well, and we're going to talk about Gilgamesh briefly with cedars. So um, there's our tie-in. So th there's our tie-in. It's Gilgamesh. It's always Meso <laughs> it's always Mesopotamia. I feel like that is <laughs> it, it. Really is just always Mesopotamia on wands and bronze. It's Mesopotamia <laughs> all the way down. <laughs> it goes all the way to the top and the bottom. Um, but no, so they saw Gilgamesh and then the Polynesians. So they, it's just funny that it's not a hunter, but the Polynesian navigators saw what they have, which is like a little snare trap that they make that shoots an arrow into a pig when it goes under it. Um, so still very hunting related, but they saw a little snare trap. Um, sort of fixed to uh, kill, stick a pig. Um, which, you know, similar vibes, right? But let's get into 
the mythology of it all. Because the myth of why Orion is a constellation is a very interesting one and also really leans into Artemis, who we love on the pod. We love us a Huntress wizard. Well, and it makes sense that, of course, the story of the hunter, Orion, is very, very intertwined with Artemisian lore. Yeah, and we're going to put a pin in this because I need to ask you if you're about if you're watching Fiona and Cake. Um, it is on my radar as, of course, the only Adventure Time series that I have yet to watch. So. So good so far. Anyway. But, so it's it's very steeped in Artemisian lore. So Orion. I mean, all Greek stories are basically like this, but we have a couple different versions of his birth. Uh, one is that he is the son of a mortal woman and Poseidon. Um, and then the other one, which is slightly more interesting and to me makes a little more sense just because of what happens later on, is that, you know, the queen, the, this king and queen from some remote island were entertaining Zeus, Poseidon, and Hermes. Um, and so what they did was they roasted a whole bull, which... That's a lot. That is That is a lot. But I mean... These are gods we're talking about. So, of course, you're going to pull out the big guns. Um, you know, you want you really want to be the hostess with the mostess. <laughs> if you're if you're having Zeus and Poseidon over for dinner. Um, yeah, I'm like, give your girl Martha a call because you really you need to keep it buttoned up. Mm -hmm. So they've roasted a whole bowl and the gods are pleased, presumably because they're just engorge themselves or gorge themselves on uh bull meat <sighs> which is a high unlike any other <laughs> but they're like oh well do you guys want anything we're here you know like we could <clears throat> throw some blessings your way and they were like oh we want sons we want uh we want to give birth to you know strong sons to carry on the line and so basically what they do uh then and it's greek mythology of course but they take the skin of the bull that they had all just enjoyed for dinner and they all pee on it <laughs> uh and then they tell them to basically bury it in the ground for 10 months and come back and you'll have a son wow which I is what if you had the option to get around childbirth by burying a stick in the woods, I mean, I think most people probably would. <laughs> it's a, no, it's a it's a whole bull skin soaked okay. soaked in god pee. <laughs> it's disgusting. Um, yeah, which I guess is sort of the womb for for baby Orion. Um, disgusting, but still. You know, his mom did not have to give birth. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's a pretty dope workaround, even if it's <laughs> probably smelly. Yeah, well, that's why you bury it in the ground. Oh. Anyway, so the 10 months goes by, 
they dig up their baby turnip and it's Orion who it is said was sort of like, you know, like a Hagrid character uh, as in, you know, not quite a giant, but way bigger than a normal person. And uh, because of this sort of burial birth genesis of Orion, they sometimes refer to him as the Earthborn. Okay. Because he was born in a hole in the ground. Um, He's a hobbit? A big hobbit? Right. Well, the Earthborn, I don't know. I feel like that's like someone's nickname in Game of Thrones. Yeah, Earthborn definitely sounds like like some sort of fantastical like fantasy creature name right but but that's that's orion he's the earth and he's a giant and he you know lo and behold he becomes the best hunter to ever walk the earth and actually so in that version of the story it's assumed that poseidon is his dad because it is revealed very early on that orion can walk on water Sounds familiar. So we're we're kind of assuming that out of all three of the peas, the one the one that that made Orion was Poseidon. Yeah, I because mean, he's, look, he's not shooting lightning bolts, right? That's a very he, fair assumption. He's walking on water, and because he can walk on water, he can walk from island to island and just go hunting all the time, which is kind of fun. And, you know, it classic Greek hero. Um, he becomes the hunter for a king. And then this is where, this is kind of where the story diverges a little bit, which is, um, you know, there's the king and then there's Merope, uh, who we all know as being the uh, the namesake of Voldemort's mom in Harry Potter. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> who was either, you know, consensually or non-consensually with Orion. But then her dad got so mad that he blinded Orion. And then Orion then goes to Hephaestus to see if he can get it fixed. You know, Hephaestus, the smith god, makes all of the weird tech for the gods, right? Yeah, all the tech and prosthetics. And then Hephaestus is like, no, but, you know, I can loan you one of my drones and y'all can go visit Helios and then Helios will heal you. So he has to walk all the way to, you know, sort of the, the western edge of the world where Helios lives and is healed of his blindness and then is able to walk back across the water with uh, sort of Hephaestus's assistant guy, like draped on his neck, like a scarf. Because again, this man is is like half giant, right? And I just have to say, I'm glad that Helios was wi willing to help because we all, if we know one thing about Helios, he's got a boner for cattle. And this is a guy who was a... Uh, born from a bull skin so i'm like that could have gone very poorly yeah but you know he's the earthborn <laughs> he is the earthborn 
So then, you know, having basically he, he gets fired from his day job as the king's personal hunter. And he's like, well, you know, I'm the greatest hunter there ever was. Let me go around hunting and having grand adventures. And of course, who should he run into but Artemis? Uh, and so him and Artemis are like adventuring around together on their grand and never ending hunt, which then leads to some trouble because, Ruh-roh. you know, they're, they're hunting increasingly exotic and hard to kill game. And basically Orion says, well, you know, I think I'm so good at hunting. I could probably kill anything on on the earth and of course Gaia was not having it now what is Gaia's connection to the situation if a guy is conceived in a hole in the ground Gaia's kind of your mommy a little bit Gaia's kind of your mommy a little bit so I feel like she had a vested interest in what's going on with Orion. And so Gaia invents the scorpion. Okay, and I'm fucking terrified of scorpions. So like God damn it, Orion. So once again, you know, sort of a mortal adventurer is being punished for their hubris. Yeah, uh we don't the gods don't love hubris. They do not love hubris. No. Unless it's their own. <laughs> so, you know, again, he's like, I can kill any animal. Gaia's like, no, because scorpions. And, you know, sends, sends out the scorpion because she's like, I just came up with a really cool idea. It's basically a land lobster with a wasp's stinger. And it's related to spiders for some reason. It's, I'm like, I would rather run into a spider any day of the week than a scorpion. I'm way over my stuff with spiders, and I agree. I agree. I don't think I'm ever going to be over scorpions, because it's like, they just have all of the scary qualities of things that are kind of gross. Mm-hmm, kind of scary, kind of gross. And literally, it's so dumb because the scarier looking they are, the less poisonous they are. And it's yeah, like... Yeah, it's like the innocuous little, like, baby ones that'll fucking kill you. Yeah. Which is how Orion dies. The scorpion comes and does what scorpions do. And he died. Just dropped dead. Of a scorpion sting. But... So here's here's where things get interesting. Again, I mean the whole thing is, but Artemis and her mother basically beg Zeus to put Orion's dead body into the constellations to be stellified, right? And basically Zeus is like, okay, I'll do it, but that scorpion is also really fucking cool. So I'm going to put the scorpion as a constellation too. So 
<clears throat> I mean, it would kind of suck to be in the sky with your murderer forever. Well, and actually, there is a legend pertaining to that because Scorpio uh, season actually ends sort of right before Orion is visible. So in a way, they they are kind of separated. They don't appear together in the sky. And actually, the, you know, uh, Ophiuculus, the serpent bearer, supposedly revived Orion from his scorpion sting. Uh, and that's why he kind of stands on the zodiac plane between Scorpio and when Orion arrives in the winter sky. Um, but yeah, so they killed him with a scorpion. And then they were like, well, can we make him a constellation? Because he was a really cool dude. And Zeus was like, yeah, but I'm going to put the scorpion up there too. So people know about the hubris. Yeah. Because they really want to make sure humans don't forget that we should never think that we're good at things. <laughs> right. Um, we're just then, dumb babies and we have to remember that. And we do have to remember that. It's so important. But I, I would say, you know, as far as like the space witchy side of it, I feel like if you insist on, you know, going hard and fast with the gender of it all, Orion can be like a more masculine representation of like Artemisian values. I'm just getting like big, like Annie, get your gun, anything you can do vibes from their like escapades together. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Supposedly Apollo was seething with jealousy of Orion's. Isn't he, isn't he always though? Isn't he always, but was seething with jealousy over Orion's friendship with Artemis. I mean, I'm seething with jealousy over anyone's friendship with Artemis, so I can relate. <laughs> yeah, I can relate. Um, but I bet that was a fun time. Right? I'm like, I want to I wanna hang out on that romp. I just, I want to read that fantasy series. Yeah. Nick, I need you to write that real quick, okay? Yeah, the, the Artemis and Orion fantasy series on it. Yeah. On it. Because you know there's some kissing in the winter mm, there's probably some kissing <laughs> and apollo can come too yeah i mean it's it's greece it's greek mythology everyone's kissing and touching tips it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is um but yeah so i feel like you know if you're already in the artemisian slant of things you know i i think orion is kind of like a fun ally yeah it can be like a fun duality there yeah and if but, you hate scorpions, like, it's very justified. But also, I mean, and and again, you know, the scorpion in question is Scorpio, if I didn't make that abundantly clear. Yeah. The, the scorpion that killed Orion is Scorpio the scorpion. That scorpion. So. You know, the scorpion. The scorp The one constellation that's a scorpion? Yeah, it's that one. 
<laughs> Don't get it mixed up with all the other constellations that aren't scorpions. <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay, so Lebanese cedar. One yes. of one of my, I have to say up top, favorite silhouettes for a tree. It's gorgeous. And I think it's one of the things that like people that always conflate them with junipers maybe don't realize how epic they are. But let's kind of like back up a little bit. Okay, so Cedrus Labani. So it's like specifically Cedar of Lebanon, which is the one we're talking about, which um, I just, I'm going to say up top and then I'm going to kind of like avoid talking about the Bible as much as possible. But the Lebanon cedar is mentioned 103 times in the Bible. Uh, the Bible loves the cedar. So this is like part of the Cedrus family, which is, it's in the pine family. It's uh, native to the mountains of Eastern Mediterranean. It's an evergreen conifer. And one of the big differences, obviously, between like a juniper and a cedar is we're looking at um, cedars have needles versus like the scaled little uh, spines that you see on junipers. And cedars also actually produce cones as opposed to like the berries that you get with junipers. And I have to say that the like the male cone on this on like the cedar uh, Labani, I'm like, Nick, it looks like a dick, like a tentacle dick. Jesus Christ. I, I, I saw some shit like that in Japan. Yeah, like, I did, that's, I, that's a penis. I did not realize that we were fucking trees now. Well, you know, uh, it is, we're technically on the internet. So uh, here we are. The thing that I think is really fun about these is like, okay, so like they get up to 130 feet tall and they can be eight feet in diameter. So most of them that you'll see like, like 300 years old is about the average age, but apparently there are some that are like a thousand years old in Lebanon. And I'm like, I would fucking kill to meet a thousand year old tree. And when they're young, like the tops are cones, but they become like kind of flattened out and get like really tabular and broad as they get older. So they really are gorgeous. They have rough scaly bark. It's like dark gray to blackish brown. And that's another way you can kind of tell it from junipers. Junipers tend to have a white or gray. The um, cedars have like a dark, dark gray to brown, almost black bark and it's run through by these like deep horizontal fissures and it peels in small chips um and the shoots are dimorphic right so with both long and short shoots new shoots tend to be pale brown older ones turn that like dark gray they're grooved um and they're they're really beautiful like the silhouette of the cedar tree is on the center of the lebanese flag so they're they're like a, it has a really iconic silhouette um the the history though is like it is very like tied to middle eastern and like mesopotamian culture so in the epic of gilgamesh there's like this story where um gilgamesh and his like buddy and kidu travel to the legendary cedar forest and so in this um in like the epics of gilgamesh the tablets four to six of the epic talk about like this like glorious like mythical cedar forest and it's considered like a realm of the gods in mesopotamian mythology it's guarded by the demigod um humbaba uh and gilgamesh and enkidu when they go into this forest they're going to like 
kill Humbaba and like cut down the trees of its like virgin stands while they're trying to like become famous. Um, and in earlier versions of the Sumer, like in earlier Sumerian versions of the Epic of Gilgamesh, uh, it's said that like Gilgamesh traveled east, presumably to like the area of the Zagros Mountains of Iran, but this like to the cedar forest. But then the later, like more extensive Babylonian examples place those cedar forests in Lebanon. So depending on like where you're reading like the Epic of Gilgamesh, if it's like the really early versions, they're going to kind of direct you to Iran for the like ancient cedar forest of the gods. Later, it does move to like Lebanon. So there's this like <clears throat> six day journey on tablet four of the, Elbe of the Epic of Gilgamesh where Gilgamesh like every day is praying to Shamash. And so Shamash sends Gilgamesh these like dreams these oracular dreams during the night um and we don't have any like record of what the first dream is but in the second dream gilgamesh dreams that he's wrestling a great bull that like splits the ground with his breath um and so his friend enkidu who's with him uh interprets the dream and he says that the, in the dream basically uh shamesh the bull is gonna protect gilgamesh and so enkidu's interpretation isn't found for the third dream but, you know, it's like you kind of go through all of these like various oracular dreams on the six day journey to the cedar forest. And then they get to the entrance um, <clears throat> and they like enter this beautiful cedar forest and they begin to cut down the trees, which what a shitty way to become famous. So Humbaba hears them cutting down these trees and he comes up to like roar and like warn them off. But then Enkidu shouts at him, basically, that the two of them are stronger than him because he's sometimes referred to as a demon, but also a demigod, which I think is like very Mesopotamian, right? Um, so Gilgamesh like is taunting, taunting him, like taking orders from nobody, like, bah, you can't tell me what to do. Um, and then Humbaba does this thing that's like very demonic where his face turns into a scary mask while he's trying to like scare them off, which is like very horror. Um, and Shamash intrudes on this battle, right? So he helps the pair defeat Humbaba. And while he's on his knees with Gilgamesh's sword at his throat, Humbaba is like begging for his life. And he offers Gilgamesh all the trees in the forest and his eternal servitude. And so Gilgamesh is like thinking this over, like, okay, like this is a pretty dope offer. And Enkidu like intervenes basically and is like, you need to kill this dude before any of the other gods arrive and keep you from doing this. Um, so if he like kills Humbaba, he'll get widespread fame for times to come. And then Gilgamesh basically like decapitates Humbaba. But before he dies, Humbaba screams out and says, of you two, may Enkidu not live the longer. May Enkidu not find any peace in this world. And then soon after Humbaba's murdered, Enkidu becomes sick and dies. And so Gilgamesh and Enkidu cut down the cedar forest. And in particular, they like go after the tallest tree of the cedars um, to make a great cedar gate for the city of Nippur. And then they build a raft out of the, some of the cedar trees and they float down the Euphrates to their, to their city. Um, and then after all of this, <clears throat> Gilgamesh obviously is like really famous, very widespread. 
He's, you know, he has like all these resplendent clothes. He's really wealthy and he attracts Ishtar, who's like, mm, this fuck boy, I can get with that. Who, so Ishtar comes to Gilgamesh to become his lover. Uh, and Gilgamesh refuses Ishtar and insults her, listing all of the mortal lovers that Ishtar has had and recounting all of the bad fates they've had. Um, which can I just say? If a goddess comes to you, like, maybe don't fucking go through her, like, roster of former fuck toys and throw it in her face. So she's, like, obviously insulted. Like, who would not As be? you would be. As you absolutely... Yeah. And also, I feel like that's a little um, slut-shamey. Oh, absolutely. So Ishtar goes back to the heavens, right? And she begs her father, the sky, the sky god Anu, to let her have the bull of heaven, to wreak help uh to wreak vengeance on Gilgamesh and his city um which I just I just love she's like daddy daddy give me the bull let me go fuck him up he hurt my feelings um so Gilgamesh is kind of like shitty all of that to say he sounds um, he sounds like a bit of like a a, a doucher to, he is. to be sure to be sure right and I think it's interesting that, like, in the story of Gilgamesh, right, we're getting this story of, like, essentially deforestation, which is a problem, right? So it's been particularly bad on, like, uh, on in Lebanon and on Cyprus. And in Cyprus, they actually now only have, like, small trees that are up to 82 feet tall, which um, sounds big, right? But Pliny the Elder, when he was writing about these trees, talked about trees that were up to 130 feet tall. So, like, we know that there's been a big problem with these trees being cut down. So fuck off Gilgamesh and Enkidu. Um, and there's been a bunch of different efforts, like, throughout history to conserve these cedars because, obviously, they're really culturally significant. Um, the very first time we see, like, uh, attempts at, like, reforestation and conservation are actually from the Roman emperor Hadrian. I'm like, we don't often say anything positive about the Roman empire, but a Roman emperor did start trying to save the Lebanese cedar. So like, that's kind of dope. He, um, he actually created an imperial forest and he had it like marked with boundary stones. Um, and there are two of these boundary stones in the American university of uh, Beirut's museum. And so they do a lot of like extensive reforestation. Um, in Turkey, they plant over 50 million young cedars every year. Um, and Lebanese cedar populations are also expanding through this, like there's an epic like uh, replanting program. Uh, and I love that the protection of the natural regeneration is done by goats. So they bring in goats to like basically um, do like, to help with like woodworms and things like that so goats are kind of like the keepers of this like reforestation project which i just i am obsessed with but during the seedling stage it's actually really hard to differentiate like um the lebanese cedar from the atlantica cedar or the deodora cedar so the american university of beirut developed uh, a dna based like identification method that they use to make sure it's getting reforested with the correct cedar trees which you know i love um as far as like diseases and pests like in addition to obviously the problems of like deforestation uh it is susceptible to some like uh soilborne and stem pathogens in particular like the seedlings are really um prone to fungal attacks of like botrytis scenario which it's a fungus that like you 
if you've heard of it and you're like, why does botrytis sound familiar? It's because it's like a fungus that does a lot of damage to food crops, but it also like attacks these young seedlings. Um, and it basically causes the cedar needles to turn yellow and drop. There's also the honey fungus that um, it fruits in like really dense clusters at the base of the trees or the stumps and it attacks the roots. And so those are ones that you see like in the cedars that are growing in really, really um, wet areas. And then finally, there's a Lebanese cedar moth, which I think is really interesting because one of the things you hear about cedars, like with cedar chests, right, is that they like they help protect things from moths, which is why like old quilts and stuff are often stored stored in cedar chests. Uh, but there is actually a moth in Turkey and Lebanon, but like the young moth, the larva feeds on like baby cedar leaves and buds. So nature finds a way. Uh, moths will find a way. <laughs> to come fuck some stuff up. Uh, but let's like, let's talk about um, how you can, how you can grow one, right? They're, they're actually, they are growable. They're pretty hardy trees. They like well-drained, somewhat dry soil. You do have to remember that like these grow really slowly though. So if you do want to grow one, um, I'm talking like, you're only going to get like, where is it? I found the figure somewhere and it's something ridiculous, like maybe like four to five inches a year. Um, and it, it will grow like pretty quickly until it hits about 70. And then once the tree's 70 years old, it like really, really slows down. Oh, here we go. It's you get 12 inches of height increase per year. So it's it's like 12 inches can sound like a lot unless you think about the fact that it, it gets up to 130 feet tall. And it's it's going to take a long time to get there because once it hits 70, it really slows down to about like half that growing rate. Um, but you'll see it a lot in like ornamental gardens. These do grow in like a very mountainous region so they can sustain like droughts in the summer, really frigid, cold winters. They do need full sun, um, but they're really pretty. I mean, they're really, really pretty. They're not tolerant of pollution though. So like that's going to be a problem for city dwellers, but you can like find seeds for these trees online and you can grow them if you want. Um, but, you know, I think they're also like, sometimes it's like just nice to look at trees and not try to try to grow them where they don't belong. We do have plenty of like species of juniper that are native to North America. Um, but as far as like herbalism uses, like it's kind of like they, there's an oil similar to turpentine that you can get from the wood um, and essential it's like an essential oil is used in perfumery. Um, the wood is like pretty durable. So sometimes it's used for construction. I mean, again, you have to think about some of this deforestation, like there's a lot of ways that cedar is used, particularly in construction and like crafts. So, you know, cultivation typically happens from seedlings but you can prick them out into individual pots and like grow them from seed. So it actually is like a thing where you can seed grow a tree, but I'm not, you know, I'm just like not a huge fan of like growing non-native trees. It's like, I, I think that trees are something you should kind of stick to what's local. Um, but if we want to talk about like magical uses, it's affiliated with the sun, fire, healing, purification, uh, this is one that our good friend Scott Cunningham does say that uh, a piece of cedar, uh, cedar hung in the home can protect against lightning strikes. Y'all know that we're like not about using magic for lightning protection. Uh, it also is used for like 
money drawing and money protection though so like some people will say like putting a sprig of cedar in your wallet can help and i mean it probably just smells really good right so but you'll see a lot in magical stuff it's like juniper and cedar are used really interchangeably you can like use them for smoke cleansing be very careful if you have like allergies in particular if you're using juniper as a substitute uh cedar fever should be called juniper fever lots of people are allergic to it so you know be cautious um but you can like use you can burn the wood and it smells really good like burning juniper or cedar wood does smell super dope um and it's like used to heal like head colds and stuff like if you think about the way juniper and a lot of actually coniferous trees can be used for like as expectorants which makes sense because they're still alive over the winter um cedar's the same way but again like it's used really interchangeably magically with uh with juniper trees they're beautiful big old cedars with their flat tops super pretty trees and you know that's really it i mean mostly this was kind of a, an excuse to tell you all about how Gil gilgamesh is kind of a fuck boy but i and you know we we will take every opportunity we can to spread the word people need to know people need to be made aware that Gilgamesh is not the hero here. He fucking insulted Ishtar. Can you imagine a can, goddess can comes you to you and you're like, um, let me talk about all of your past lovers shittily to you. Like, wow. Who it's the like, fuck does that? It's really like one of those tender nightmare dates where someone is immediately like, let's talk about our exes. Yes. Uh, but also, I just killed a bunch of fucking cedar trees. Oh, yeah. Which is a high, you know, it's an unbelievable high. This guy. Um, but today, y'all, Nick and I both drew tarot scopes. So, Nick, I'll do mine first, and then I'll let you go. Um, of course, of course. Speaking of shooting at Taurus, <laughs> I, 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 I drew Taurus. So, cute little bull cat. I do love the, these like little Zodiac cards. Um, the other Venusian sign, you know, we are in Libra season, but Venus also represents Taurus. Um, and for you, I have drawn nature's signs, which is really like, it's a very pretty card. The artwork's gorgeous. It's this like fairy by a creek with some like badgers and, and a squirrel hanging out and an otter. There's like a little otter on the rocks. So this is all about like paying attention to nature and like the signs that are left for you. Um, so you can think about like looking for signs from things like feathers or, you know, if you see a cool leaf, pay attention, pay attention. The Fae are talking to you through earth and nature. Um, I also think it's like, it's one of those things where if you're, if you're in a place where you're needing to like recenter, I think this is also a good, a good sign to like go sit by a stream, you know, go meditate outside because if you've got questions, it sounds like mother nature has answers for you and you should, you should go listen. You should go listen. Taurus, go get your, go pack yourself a delicious charcuterie picnic and sit by a stream and let her whisper the secrets of the universe to you. That's all. Well, love that. Um, so yeah, we actually both did a tarot scope. Uh, and it's, I think it's funny because I got 
Sagittarius, right? And <laughs> I, I think it's funny though because it, the Sagittarius cat Kitty is holding a bow and arrow, which is very like, or it's giving Orion. It is giving Orion. Shooting, shooting his little arrow um, at Taurus. Right. So, so here we are. <laughs> so here, so here we are. Both doing a tarot scope. So for you guys, I got the Queen of Pentacles, and I feel like the energy of this card is uh, it's giving the Reba sitcom from the two thousands. Oh my god, what a throwback! Um, you know, a, a single mom who works two jobs, who, who loves, loves her, her kids, kids and never never stops. stops. <laughs> <laughs> We grew up in Texas, can you tell? It's true, it's true. Um, but yeah, you know, it's like it's like the the Liz Lemon thing. It's like you can have it all. You can you can have your career, you can have a cozy and engaging home life. And you know, you you're Miss Independent. And we love that for you. We do love that for you. True. Also, you know, with the ties to home life, I feel like, again, this is the first week in a long time where there are no nines in the forecast, even. It's all sixes, sevens, and eights. And we're very, we're very happy about that. Um, and even sometimes in the 40s. So I feel like this might be your sign... To, I mean, to my admittedly messy Sagittarius friends, to do your your fall cleaning and Hell a bit yeah. of a bit of nesting. Put a simmer pot on, turn up the Reba, and get your house in order. Get your house in order. Which I mean, I did that recently, kind of around the full moon, and I was just like, oh yes, oh yes, this is. I mean, we got a new moon in Libra coming up. Good time for for getting that house clean so you can have a clean slate for whatever you want to manifest this lunar cycle. But also, you know, everyone's about to be spending a lot more time inside and at home. So get your shit together. <laughs> yes. Great but, message. Um, okay, well... I guess this is sort of the the bitter end. I did actually want to ask you, though, have you thought about what you were going to be for Halloween? Yeah, for Halloween. Um, you know, Eric and I have been back and forth a lot on this one. And I'm thinking, you know, I have these great Maleficent horns that I bought a few years ago that I haven't done anything with. So I'm thinking I might do like, a dark fae type look because honestly um i've been wanting an excuse to buy ear tips because i'm a big old nerd so i think i'm gonna just go with like kind of setting up like a dark fae look using my horns it'll be fun love that i don't think i'm gonna do it this year but i kind of want to do um drag hiking Margot. i'm here for it because first of all i really want I really want the tiara. Yes. Because it, it is everything. Um, but also, I think that would be a really funny costume to me that I don't think anyone else would get. Or if they got it, they're good people. Yeah, I'm like, if you know, you know. 
If you know, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm also just like, as always, I'm like, what do I have that I can turn into a costume? Already. Yeah, I mean, that's where the Dark Fae thing came up, because I was like, I do have these glorious horns, so... Um, I actually think it would be funny, because last year we did this uh, at work, where you could come in, if you were had a shift that day, in costume. Ooh! And I also think it would be fun to do, like, 50s diner waitress. Okay, that would be great. Um, but you know you have to have a very pronounced fake bosom. <laughs> no, no, no. That would absolutely be part of it. That would absolutely be part of it. <laughs> but yeah, like a uh, '50s diner waitress, <laughs> but like shitty the the shitty drag version. Yes. Like, do my makeup myself uh, as someone who never does makeup. I mean. It feels appropriate. Just like streaky ass mascara and eyeliner. Uneven lipstick. Uneven lipstick. Um, and like bright blue eyeshadow because. Of course. Because. Of course. <laughs> um, it'll be, it, it's going to give, it's going to be giving like Christine. And I'm not mad about it. So, you know, be on I the lookout. Like John Waters would be proud. Oh, this is, yeah, it's a very, it's going to be a very John Waters sort of costume. What what if I kept the mustache? Yes. Just keep I support the, this. Just keep the mustache. Maybe thin it up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that, you have to thin it up a little bit. Um, Because it's a lady stash. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, okay, so what do we say to all of, you know, the the Huntress Wizard Orion-ass bitches out there in this, this Lebanese cedar forest. To all of you hunters and huntresses, blessed be bitches. Blessed be bitches. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye now. Um, also, I found out that one of my direct reports is a triple Taurus, and I love that I now know two triple Tauruses. What a life. What a life that must be. You know, um, I I don't like to brag, but I am hashtag blessed. <laughs>